Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. It ain't the left side or the right side. Good morning, Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode of On the Fence Side here with Kat and Paul. Follow us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all of our social media outlets, and we are the official partner as well for the fan-sided network as well as finfanatic.com. We are on the eve here of the free agency tampering period, which is essentially in the NFL today, the first day of free agency. And we're starting to hear news come in and the Dolphins actually have acquired two players already, even before free agency began. And, you know, I think these were a little bit of a surprise here, uh, Paul. I mean, um, first, uh, you know, we were talking in previous episodes here about the unrestricted free agents the Dolphins have to resign, Matt Hawk being one of them. That definitely looks like it's not going to happen now. The Dolphins signed uh, Michael Pilardi to be their punter this year, it appears. Um, Michael Pilardi is somebody who was out of the league last year because of a torn ACL. He appears to be healthy. That's why the Dolphins signed him. Uh, And they traded for Isaiah Wilson, which we'll get to in a second. But, uh, you know, we don't spend a lot of time on the show, Paul, talking about punters. But Michael Pilardi uh, in, Matt Hawk out. Yeah, I mean... You know, you say we we don't spend a lot of time, but it feels like a lot of weeks we're talking about Hawk as either the MVP or, you know, being the bottom of the roster almost ruined the game conversation. And, you know, I go back to the Jeff Ireland thing with, with, uh, oh, God, uh, well, on, on HBO's Hard Knocks a few years ago where he's like, you know, you're up here and you're down here and we really need you right here. And... We didn't really get that with Hawk. Uh, we, we got stretches of it, but then he would have a colossally bad game. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about how we expected the Dolphins to either re-sign Hawk or possibly go the draft route. And they threw a curveball, but it's because a pretty good punter was available. It's a one-year deal, and let's see what we get out of it. But if Miami's able to do some of the things it looks like they can this offseason, we're going to need somebody who, at the very least, is consistent from the punter position. And that doesn't sound like Hawk, and Hawk probably would have been a four, four and a half million dollar punter at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I it'll be fascinating to see what Hawk gets. I mean, I, even if he doesn't quite get four and a half million, he's going to get more than Pilardi um, is going to get from the Dolphins. And you look at their careers, and Matt Hawk has been punting since 2017 when he bat, he beat out Barr for that punting job in Adam Gase's second year. Uh, Pilardi, for his career, 
45.3 gross average compared to Matt Hawk, who's at 44.7. Uh, net punting, you've got Michael Pilardi at 40.3, Matt Hawk at 40.1. So based on just statistics, it looks like the Dolphins have upgraded slightly. But, you know, Matt Hawk, I thought, it was by far his best season last year. Those, you know, up and downs, up and downs, I thought were a lot more up last year. But in the last two games, we started to see a little bit of the old Matt Hawk. So, you know, we I think I think it's safe to say we wish him the best right now. And uh, he's going to be one of a couple of Dolphins free agents that are going to uh, presumably hit the wire here. So uh, secondly, a little bit of a surprise, the Dolphins trade this year's seventh round pick um, to the Titans for next year's seventh round pick. And Isaiah Wilson, who just 10, 10 and a half months ago here, Paul, was the 29th overall pick in the NFL draft. And he has a laundry list of problems. But what, what was your what was your first takeaway from this? Honestly, I I like it. it. It's the guy's got a little bit of mess going on, uh, but at the end of the day, he's a first round talent that if you can get him to grow up a little bit, you've got a chance at adding a fourth first rounder from last year that that could be really effective along the offensive line. At worst, he can be a key depth piece, and it's a low risk, high reward type of. Of, of trade for a seventh rounder and who knows if he and Kinley are close this is the thing I keep going back to the two of them played together at Georgia and if they are close Kinley may be able to help get Wilson in line in a way that his teammates in, in Tennessee weren't able to do yeah there are a couple of connections you've got Kinley from Georgia and, and you've also got you know this is this is a former five-star recruit from Brooklyn which, you know, that that's where Brian Flores is from. They actually went to the same high school. Who knows what type of a connection that actually is. But there's got to be something with Flores where it says, where he's saying, you know, we, we might be able to reach this kid. Um, but you want to talk about problems. I mean, j- just going back through since since he was drafted. I mean, at first he came in, at first, he, he had immaturity issues coming in to uh to the season. It's part of the reason why a lot of people thought he'd be a second or third rounder. Ended up going first round to replace Jack Conklin there in Tennessee. But uh, after he was drafted, he loses the starting right tackle job to Dennis Kelly, which was not expected. He played three snaps overall as a rookie. He went on the COVID list in July, September, and December. Uh, August 15th, before the season starts, he attends a uh, party at Tennessee State um, uh, cops get called presumably, presumably because there's there's drugs and a lot of other things going on there. Isaiah Wilson ends up jumping off a second floor balcony to the ground. Doesn't get hurt, but could have very easily, obviously. Fleeing the scene. Just all not good stuff here. Uh, September, he gets a DWI. And really after the year, uh, Titans general manager John Robinson. Typically, you know, a general manager after drafting is going to give some politically correct answer about, hey, you know, we believe in him. He's going to get an opportunity as talent, blah, blah, blah. No, no, he certainly didn't say that. He said, for whatever reason, the player this fall that was here at Nashville wasn't the guy we spent time with this past last year. And then Wilson tweets out five days after that, that he's not going to play for the Titans. And then he deleted that probably because his agent said, uh, hey, uh, if you do that, that's called quitting. And they can basically take all your money away. So then he deleted that and, and took I, it back. So 
we could go. We could have a whole show on his off the field problems. I, I I have to say though, my favorite there is. God, that sounds like a rookie GM comment. The oh, that guy's really not the same guy we talked to throughout the draft process. No, no, these guys are coached up to talk and and pretend they're somebody they're not. Come on, surely you jest. I mean, come on. They, we there have been so many reports about the fact that these GMs ask these guys these stupid curveball questions just to try to get a sense of who the real guy is because these guys essentially, as soon as the season end, are being coached up by agents and. You know, they go to these little campouts held by ex-NFL players with everything that the that uh, general managers and coaches want to hear from you to get you drafted higher. So, yeah, he's not the same guy. No kidding. Like, that's the stupidest comment ever. You can say that about almost any player on any NFL roster, period. Um, you know, so anyway, Kat, real quick, question already from the chat is what's our opinion on Zayvon Collins? I'll let you go first. Zayvon Collins, um, yeah, I mean, this is somebody in this defense who who could who could possibly be a monster. I, I go back and forth about it. Can this be like a Brian Urlacher type in this defense, or is this somebody who might struggle? And I know that's a vague answer, but you know, he's six four two sixty, and he can move for that size. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't, didn't see him as being as physical at Tulsa that I saw like the Brian Urlachers and the late Leighton Van Der Esch's at that size B. But I think that can kind of be taught too. My question is in the passing game, is, is his length going to be an asset in getting into passing lanes or is he going to struggle to kind of turn and run with receivers when he needs to be? So I go back and forth on him. Uh, 18 still a little bit too high for me, but 36, I would certainly consider him. Yeah, for me, given the fact that Pitts has slid firmly into into my number one spot target wise, um, now I'm looking at that second tier of linebackers, and that includes Wusu Kamara, that includes Zayvon Collins, that includes Chaz Surratt. If Miami were to come away with Zayvon Collins, I think he'd be a very good player in Flores' defense, and one of the reasons why I'm even firmer in that camp now, where I'm looking at the second tier of linebackers. I would not be unhappy if they draft Micah Parsons. I, I'm going to say that right now. But one of the things that I've heard recently, too, is I talked to a friend that, that knows some people inside the Penn State um, program, and they have said to him offline that basically Micah Parsons is the most immature player that they've ever seen come through their program uh, while they've been wow. there. Wow. So that worries me. I mean, it may be something where he had some some really bad immaturity issues you know his first year with the program uh maybe into his second and he's grown up since then i don't know but you need to do a lot of homework and the fact that i just love everything that pitts does to this offense uh, going through some of the exercises i've been going through getting ready for free agency in the draft miami is the better team overall at both tight end and wide receiver and on offense in general if they draft kyle pitts than anybody else in this draft and that's where I have to look at it and go, okay, Kyle Pitts is such a difference-making receiver. I can slide away from Parsons and look at Zayvon Collins, look at Chaz Surratt, look at Wusu Kimura, look at some of these guys in the later rounds, uh, you know, Browning, et cetera, that can come in and, and either serve a role or be a starter. Got it. So given that, Paul, and hey, it, 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 
I know you've been Micah Parsons no matter what, and it takes a lot for you to say, hey, I'm moving off that yeah. uh, a lot. So, so kudos to you on that. Now looking at kind of how the board stacks for you, is he a player that you're not only putting below Pitts, but you're also putting below, you know, the Jamar Chases, the Devontae Smiths, uh, them given given the linebacker depth in this draft? I uh, it's he's still one B for me. I mean, he he is one I definitively take at 18 if he slides. Um, I, I I would even consider moving up a little bit to grab him at this point. Um, just because the talent is there if you think you can get through to him. But <clears throat> for me, I, I I still don't love the idea of going wide receiver um, in, in the top ten. I, I like Waddle. I like Chase. I like Devontae Smith. I really, truly do. They get a little bit of that benefit of, of that helmet on, on the, uh, and logo that they're wearing because – I see a lot of wide receivers. I see that as the deepest position in this draft. And yeah. you know, I see difference-making guys in the third round that can come in and start for you right away. And for me, like that that's part of why I look at Pitts. Because if you take Pitts and you sign a wide receiver in free agency, guess what? You really only need one wide receiver in the draft that can come in and be effective for you. And even then, it's a little bit of a luxury, uh, depending on which wide receiver you sign in free agency. I look at two players that I would turn down trade offers to move down for, and it would make sense. And that's Panay Sewell and that's Kyle Pitts. And the reason for it is because I, I feel that the team could look at them and say, look, if we don't draft them, these players athletically, performance-wise, the whole package, they don't come along very often. I can't see how you can look at Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith and think, gosh, this is a once-in-a-decade type of talent here. I, I just I can't see that. Um, so, given that, and given what you said, a receiver, there's a lot of depth at receiver. And I'll even go a step further. If you're talking about some of these teams that are drafting 19th and 20th, for example, the Bears and Washington, I'm not. I, I don't expect the Dolphins to make a huge trade down like that. But if I had to choose between Jamar Chase and Rashad Bateman, a second rounder and two first rounders, if that were the Hall. That's an easy choice for me. I'm making that trade. Yeah, every time it, it's, and that that's that's huge for me too. Like if if the pick is wide receiver, I'd rather trade down almost no matter what. Um, you know, you tell me I'm adding a second and I get to move back three spots. Let's do it. You tell me I'm adding a second next year, and I get to move down three spots, and I can still grab a Rashad Bateman or a Kadarius Tony, or a Jalen Darden, or a Tutu Atwell, or Nico Collins. Like, there are so many wide receivers if my – and my thing, too, in this and, – and I hate to keep getting back on the Pitts chain that's trained. This is not what we're on about today. But, again, it, it's – it's I know it's relevant. Um, it, it's if you take Pitts, and you've got Pitts and Gasicki out there, all of your wide receivers are going to be better – because those corners are going to be on an island now because they're not going to have that safety help over the top. And if they do get that safety help over the top, God help the opposing defense because Gasicki and Pitts are going to eat over the middle and down the seam. Uh, they're going to force teams to dedicate safety help to whoever is covering them um, because they're not going to put 
you know, uh, they're not going to take their corners off the wide receivers in those scenarios. And if they do, God help them. It's they just start to be able to dictate what opposing defenses do reliably, and they're able to move those guys all over the place so they can dictate matchups. And for me, that's worth its weight in gold. See, yeah, that's and that's the thing is dictating matchups, and and I think Panay Sewell and Kyle Pitts, one of those two, they allow you to take a position and be dominant at it. I like my biggest frustration at the end of this offseason is going to be looking at our skill positions because this is the offseason to surround Tua and put him in the best possible scenario to have that supporting cast. If I look at the running back spot and we didn't get Aaron Jones, we didn't get Najee Harris, didn't get Javante Williams or Travis Etienne, um, and a wide receiver, it's not a dominant unit. And the offensive line, well, if Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt do well, then it could be a, a you know a, a, a B, B-plus unit. But I look at the rest at, at the supporting cast and say, these positions are C's and C pluses. How are we expecting Tua to really take that next step up? Um, so that's where the Dolphins have a lot of responsibility here, too. I want them to get quality over quantity here this offseason. I, I, last offseason, I felt like they cast a wide net. They got a lot of players. They did a great job. They won 10 games. But they've built that foundation. Now it's time to build on top of that foundation with star players. It it is, and and, and I'm kind of between the two on this one. Um, it's yes, I want them to add quality over quantity, but I don't want to sacrifice the ability to upgrade multiple positions um, to be able to upgrade one. And, and that's where I look at it and go, okay. Um, you know, can we make, and I hate to bring this up, but I know it's going in the chat, you know, can we have Deshaun Watson and basically the skill players we had last year for the most part? Or can we have Tua with Pitts now? You know, let's say T.Y. Yeah. Hilton, um, Rashad Bateman, and the best of the cast from last year, and oh yeah, add Javante Williams or Najee Harris to that list, or Travis Etienne. Um, you know, because it's everybody wants these guys around him, but you have to take them away. And guess what? Even if you're in the Aaron Jones camp, you probably have to take that away if you go get Deshaun Watson. You're not going to have the cap space to be able to add any type of superstar around him in that scenario. You're, you're right on that, and. I have no, I have no issues on bringing up Deshaun Watson. I, I don't, I don't. I mean, people who are who are thinks it's such a blemish to Tua just, I mean, quite frankly, don't don't get it. No, uh, it's it's. Look, I'm not saying okay, oh Deshaun Watson, okay, we didn't get him in a trade. Okay, who's the next quarterback out there? No, it's it is Deshaun Watson or it's nobody. I I feel, and I think you you're exactly right, Paul, in what you said. You have two ways to really build a great football team. And if it's Deshaun Watson uh, and you pull off a trade there and you don't have quite the supporting cast, Watson has demonstrated he can lead the league in passing yards without a great supporting cast, without a good supporting cast. On the other side, you know, this is what I posted here on Twitter, is you could have this scenario where if you go skill position crazy in free agency in the draft, you may have Najee Harris at running back, Devontae Parker, Curtis Samuel and Elijah Moore at receiver, Mike Kosicki at tight end. You look at that supporting cast and think, 
yes, this is how you build around to it. You give him the weapons and the Dolphins have the opportunity to take either the offensive line or the skill positions and, and make them turn them from a C to an A. Right. And, and you can't do that very well if you make that trade. And that's where I just look at it and go, I, I'd rather build the team because not only that, and this is something I know a lot of folks haven't talked about with this. Deshaun Watson did prove that he can do very well without the supporting cast in, in Houston. Deshaun Watson also proved that when he doesn't have the supporting cast, he's going to get frustrated and, and try to get out. Um, and, you know, I worry about that. I mean, Flores can win with a CFL roster. Don't get me wrong. But I don't want to deal with a guy that's, that's antsy for the skill positions, but he's eating up the whole cap. And, you know, you've got to now sacrifice some other stars uh, to be able to appease your new superstar that has shown that he gets disgruntled. Um, and and I, I I disagree on that, that portion of it. I, I think maybe trading DeAndre Hopkins for what you did factors into it very, very little. I feel, I think Deshaun Watson feels he's been disrespected. And look. A player should. I. I don't. I. I'm a huge believer that players should not have have leniency over saying who's the GM and who's not. Okay. I. I. That. But when you tell him he's going to have input, and then you sign, and then you do that, um. And, and then when he's out of town, you hire the GM, and then you hire a head coach who is the passing game coordinator <laughs> for the team with the least amount of passing yards in the league. I. 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 I understand him saying screw this place I, I don't think deshaun watson is somebody we're going to get two years down the road he's like yeah i don't want to be here anymore i don't think that's going to happen in miami houston is on another level of of completely screwing everything yeah no and, and i'm with you but let's let's go ahead and move on to free agency but yeah before yeah let's, we do let's, let's before we do yeah. guys make sure you guys like make sure you guys subscribe if you can please feel free to go out and leave us a review out on itunes it does help us out here um and, and really Thank you guys so much for listening. And make sure you share this out with your friends because we're about to kick it into high gear with everything coming up, guys. We certainly are. And, Paul, we talked about the franchise tag players here last week. And at the time, I think there was only one that was that was tagged. So going down the list, there were 10 players that were franchised. Uh, Dak Prescott, who officially has the tag, but he's got the contract. Uh, Allen Robinson, wide receiver. Chris Godwin, wide receiver, offensive tackles. Taylor Moten and Cam Robinson. Um, guard Brandon Scherf, defensive tackle Leonard Williams, and safeties uh, Justin Simmons, Marcus Williams, and Marcus May. So all of them we can count on being out, out there uh, or, or being off the free agent market. Also, the Bucks re-signed Levante David. The Bills re-signed both uh, offensive tackle Daryl Williams and linebacker Matt Milano. So of the top 25 consensus free agents that I, I – for that board where I combined eight different top free agency boards from pro football talk and a lot of other places, 11 of the top 25 guys are off the market here. So one surprise though, Paul, that's gotten a lot of attention who wasn't tagged is Kenny Galladay. And he was just, we just assumed that he would get that franchise tag. The lions right now are starting Tyrell Williams and Quintus Cephas at wide receiver, why they wouldn't tag them and at least try to tag and trade them is, is beyond me. So, I'll I'll say first that when I first heard Kenny Galladay was going to hit the free agent market, I was excited. I was all about it. I tweeted out that, hey, Kenny Galladay 
I don't care if he's a contested catch guy. He's not just that. And I'll admit, I ended up deleting that tweet because I started thinking more and more about it. Like, I kind of would rather somebody else pay him, given the skill set that he brings. That's so similar to Mike Gesicki and Devontae Parker, that contested catch big body type of receiver. Yeah, and, and for me, the one thing I like about Galladay being available as much as I do like Galladay is he's unquestionably the top wide receiver in the free agency class, which potentially could drive down the Samuel price just a little bit, and maybe it puts us it puts him in striking range. It's Samuel's the guy I liked overall anyway as a fit for the Dolphins. So maybe I still think he's gonna be out of out of the price range I'd like to see, but it might drive Samuel down to the point that we're able to take a stab. Yeah, that'll be worth monitoring because you look at the top, you know, the, the, the teams that have basically more cap room than the Dolphins. You've got like, teams like the, the Jets, the Patriots, and the Colts who have major needs at receiver and a lot more money. So it probably won't drive it down, but it's quite possible that it pollutes the market just a little bit more because – you look at the at the other receivers that are out there who are who are supposed to hit the market. It's it's supposed to be the deepest class there. So you're going to have Kenny Galladay, Curtis Samuel, Juju Smith Schuster, Will Fuller, Corey Davis, and then you get into that next tier of guys that you one guy you like Marvin Jones, Nelson Aguilar, Rashad Perryman, T. Y. Hilton, A. J. Green, that type of group there. So. Yeah, I and then also too, you factor in that Emmanuel Sanders and John Brown were cut this past week too. So there's a lot of options out there for the Dolphins, and I, I do think you're right. Even though Curtis Samuel is far and away the number one big fish I want to land, I I don't see the Dolphins going that route, and that seems to be the talk right now. Yeah, um, it, it's I, I I really hope they go Marvin Jones. I mean. Or T.Y. Hilton. The one thing I like with Marvin Jones, and this is something we haven't really spent some time on with him, is he's pretty much made no secret since the end of the season that he'd like to come play. He'd like to come play in Miami. It, it's he's been as thinly veiled as you can possibly be, but you know, it's he seems to want to come play with Tua, and he may take a mild discount for that fact. Who knows? I mean, it, it's you see those scenarios all the time where these guys take less money to come somewhere that they feel like they can win and play with the guys they want to play with. So that would be very interesting. And and I have no idea what the relationship is between Galladay and Jones, but if he's able to talk Galladay into like, Hey, why don't the two of us take a little less money, go down there and win some stuff and make, make better money later, which Marvin Jones may not be in position for, but Galladay would, who knows? I mean, it's, there's a lot of things, but honestly for me, it's not the wide receiver position I'm focused on squarely as far as the star player goes. It's still the center position in Corey Lindsley. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get to that in just a second here. Um, a, a wide receiver, what I could see is, you know, I, I imagine Galladay, Samuel, Smith-Schuster, Corey Davis, Will Fuller, those, those five. I, I see them in the first couple of days of free agency getting signed. Um, then after that gets watered down a little bit, if the Dolphins uh, choose not to spend a lot of money at that position, um, then you start. If, if we get to, say, Thursday or Friday, Marvin Jones is still out there and he wants to play for a little bit less, and it's clear that 
hey, I'm not going to get $8 million a year, but I might get $5 million a year, then I think that's a little bit more in the Dolphins' price range. Maybe you get a good number two type option at wide receiver here for a couple of years, even though he is 31. So that bears watching, and I think the same kind of goes for T.Y. Hilton too. Yeah, and if, 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 if for some reason Brian Flores and Chris Greer are able to sign Marvin Jones for $5 million a year, they should do their announcement press conference literally dressed as burglars running out the door with money bags because that that is such a steal. As I pointed out, he's the wide rec- only wide receiver in the NFL with nine-plus touchdowns each of the last two years receiving. And that's a big thing and, and something that I think could really help two out. And for me, too, one of the reasons why I keep mentioning Marvin Jones and T.Y. Hilton is those are the guys that are going to roast people in one-on-one matchups, and if you're going to target Pitts at the top of the draft, they get even better because they're going to be facing one-on-ones more often than not, and they're also going to be forcing some safety help over. That opens up Pitts and Gasicki, and you just, you know, it's like you're asking defense to pick defenses to pick how you're going to beat them. Right, yeah, it's, it's all about creating the matchups here, and you know, I along with T.Y. Hilton and Marvin Jones. And the reason I inevitably think that the Dolphins aren't going to sign them is because it's I mean, if, if you sign Marvin Jones, he's probably going to be your either your top free agent or your, at least your top two or three free agent. And to have a roster of nobody over 30 and then one of your top free agents is 31. That's something ultimately I don't see happening, but we'll see. I, I And I look at that second tier and, and see guys like that that I, I am interested in, like Keelan Cole, Josh Reynolds, um, Brashad Perryman, and uh, Damier Bird, who are all in that you know 26 to 28 range. That's where I could see the Dolphins looking too. And Brashad Perryman, I think, is extremely underrated right now. I mean, he uh, was a former first-round pick, very toolsy, raw guy coming out of uh, Central Florida. Didn't have a good career with the Ravens. Uh, started to pick it up at the end of his career with the Bucks. Was signed as a free agent by the Jets. He got hurt, but when he got on the field, and we saw that we saw him roast Byron Jones in that second matchup against the Dolphins. And um, I think if you sign him for a decent, you know, salary, four or five million a year, he could surprise you by by breaking some big plays downfield. So he, he's not somebody I'd completely dismiss. No, and. Here's the other thought I have, too. It's a lot of people are big on on drafting one of those top three wide receivers, and this is something I'm thinking about here as we're talking. Um, And one of the reasons why I keep going back to some of those other guys is because if you you take a Tier 1 wide receiver in free agency, a Kenny Galladay or a Curtis Samuel, and you've still got Devontae Parker on your roster, right? And... You know, you've got Mike Gesicki, who's going to play a lot of big slot for you. That top-tier wide receiver in, from the draft is either going to struggle to get on the field or going to put, potentially, your big free agency signing or Devontae Parker on the bench, in which case you're, you're suddenly... You're setting yourself up to frame one of these guys as a bust in, in a way that you really shouldn't. And I do worry about that a little bit. Yeah, and I think people tend to think that, okay, let's just get five number one receivers. That causes problems a lot. And (laughs) let me tell you this. If you have a 
a second year quarterback who's not quite there yet and you've got five receivers or four or five receivers that think they're number one guys the offensive line isn't blocking all that well these guys aren't catching a lot of passes you're going to have problems inside that locker room there's no doubt about that so you know it might seem like a good problem to have but it tends to work the opposite way unless you have a clearly refined quarterback like a Patrick Mahomes or like a Josh Allen so anyway Paul moving along here and I think this this year I've, I've seen a few things mentioned in the chat and um I want to make this very, very clear. Um, I am okay. I would be excited with the, uh, with the dolphins, you know, going out and getting that, that big fish, the the Curtis Samuel, the Aaron Jones, the Corey Lindsley to not only get a star player at that position, but also to cut down on their needs on draft day. I am also okay with them completely sitting out of free agency so that they, they put those dollars back in their pocket. They're able to, they're in a better position to re-sign Mike Kosicki, Jerome Baker, Manuel Ogba, re-sign our own and, and rely on the draft picks. Here's what would piss me off. If you take this money and you come away with James Conner at running back and David Andrews at center, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip my lid. I mean, because you, you, you're going to probably be spending on those two players about $12 million a year. And I don't even think I can't even say with a straight face that that you're addressing the position. Yeah, no, you, you, you the James Conner thing would mystify me the most. I mean, David Andrews, sure, you're getting roughly somebody in the same territory as Karis and whatever, um, which at this point you might as well lock up Karis while you can and, and make sure you get your guy then go chasing David Andrews for such a mild upgrade that I'm really not concerned with it. Um, unless you're targeting Corey Lindsley, I, I, I think you do resign uh, Ted Karras. Yeah, let's let's stick there too because you you mentioned Lindsley and and you yeah, have for a while he's the guy you really want and I'd be excited by that too. What I ask is, would you rather resign Ted Karras for let's say four million a year again? Mm-hmm. Um, would you rather sign David Andrews for seven or eight million? Or would you rather sign Corey Lindsley, a first-team All-Pro and arguably the best center in the game, for ten or eleven million? I mean, I clearly put two of those scenarios above the other. I mean, first it's Lindsley, and then you probably sit out the rest of free agency, um, or you re-sign Ted Karras before free agency starts. You know, you got a decent player, and then well, well, well below is David Andrews, like you said, a mild upgrade. And I would even uh, argue, too, in terms of pass protection, I think it's a downgrade from Ted Karras to, to David Andrews. I mean, that's an easy call for me. Yeah. No, I, I The David Andrews thing is, is a far distant third for me. Uh, I still would prefer Lindsley uh, at, at, you know, $10 million a year than Karras at, you know, 4 or $5 million a year. Um, I, I'd even go 5 for Karras over six for Andrews <laughs> like as, as goofy as that sounds because it's really not this huge upgrade and again you want to upgrade you want to keep your pass protection as high as possible for Tua guess what you want the better pass protecting center so yeah no David Andrews I I don't have a huge amount of interest in because it just feels like a a layup that you're taking and oh, for no reason um, you know like it's just I don't know. I, it, I don't, it was, yeah. I don't like it. 
it would strike it would strike me as a, a lot of things it would strike me as hey we're just we're just gonna sign the ne- next patriot center uh we had ted karras last year we're gonna get andrews this year and in 2019 andrew sat out the year with um he, he had a he had a pulmonary or he had either had or had fears of that he would have a pulmonary embolism and you know, without getting too much into the science, my, my wife deals with this um, a lot. And, and basically, without getting too medical, is if it's an unprovoked pulmonary em- embolism, it's something that could cause problems in somebody young. And that's, you know, it's not to say that that's going to happen to David Andrews, heaven forbid, but that's something the Dolphins would have to think about. And that would have to be part of the evaluation. He missed all of 2019. He missed but four or five games this past year uh, because of a, of a thumb and he's going to be 29 years old. So you're probably going to have to seek his replacement in a year or two anyway, especially if he's a center that relies more on athleticism than Ted Karras did. Yeah. And, and, and two things that came out of the chat here real quick. Um, and, and I like this take from, from Rome in our chat. It's, you know, David Andrews at this point could also be the media being absolutely lazy and going, Flores came from the Patriots. That guy's a Patriot free agent. That, that's who they're probably going after. Uh, you know, and, and you're not wrong there. Uh, Andrews is a good player, but um, and I'm going to go to something that I also saw from, from Eric in our chat. For me, Andrews isn't even the third option. Andrews is probably like the fourth or fifth option uh, on my list because after looking at Lindsley and looking at Karras, I'm squarely looking at the draft. I, I think I'd rather have at that point Quinn Miners, Creed Humphrey, um, jo- Josh Myers. Uh, still not in the same camp on uh, Landon, Landon Dickerson, Dickerson yeah. because he... Just the injury history terrifies me to the point where I'd probably rather have David Andrews, even though I wouldn't like it, because I know he's probably going to be on the field um, for 16 games. And we've seen what happens to the offensive line when you have a center that can't be on the field for 16 games when we had Mike Pouncey. It's, we had a Pro Bowl guy for 8 to 10 games a year, uh, and then we had a big gaping hole in the middle of our line that required you to have a solid quality backup or two uh, at the center position. Yeah, I for me, Landon Dickerson is the best center in the draft um, if you take out the injuries, but you can't take out the injuries either. And, and you know, I, I don't like the idea of drafting somebody, let's say 36th overall in the second round and saying, okay, uh, he may or may not be ready for training camp or, you know, from the beginning. That's, and if he, even if he comes back, He's shown that that he plays with such a physical style, and he's got he's got leg issues that didn't just happen once, but have happened three times now. So yeah, I I'm with you on that. I, I would still have Dickerson as as my top three centers and somebody I'd consider maybe in the third round. But um, anyway, that's so there are some options there at center. I think all of them make more sense to David Andrews, James Connor. I, I, I no, I mean just look I. <clears throat> I'm okay with the Dolphins saying, hey, look, we feel confident that either at 18 or 36 or would any other draft pick we acquire, we're going to get one of the top running backs in this draft. But you, dra- if you sign James Conner, you know, 
you're talking about somebody here who was the lead running back on one of the worst rushing teams at the end of last year. How bad, you ask, in the last four games of the season, James Conner had 137 yards rushing, 3.2 yards a carry, when they needed him the most uh, down the stretch. And he doesn't pop in any area. He offers nothing in the passing game. He's not fast, so he's not going to get into the hole quickly, which I, I think is something that Tua really needs. Um, I, it would make no sense uh, on a multitude of levels. And, and that's really the name that's being talked about right now. Again, might just be speculation at this point, but James Conner, without question, would be a, a Olympic-level stupid GMing for me. The only way I see James Conner making sense, kind of, is if the Dolphins are looking to uh, slide him one step forward on that position uh, list as far as where he lines up in the offense. If you want to run a lot of eye formation and have a bigger back as your up back uh, or, or as your fullback, I could see it potentially making sense because he's a fullback that could make some positive plays for you if you're willing to do that, but he's got to be willing to make that that move too, and well, it, I don't see well, that happening. It, well, and also, too, it's not 1985, so... What? Nobody, nobody, nobody runs a power eye formation anymore. Now uh, I have and, to go listen to Bowling for Soup. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Connor's not going to do that. I mean, he's, he's, he's not going to agree to that, he, he, and it would, be, it would be a complete waste of money at that point. Yeah, no, I, I'm just saying, like, it's, it, it's I'm stretching here to come up with a situation I could kind of go, all right, fine. But you know, right. that's the hey, best I can get to. You, is, all you right. tried, you tried. I give okay. you, I give you credit for that. And, and I heard in our chat uh, from, um, yeah, my, uh, from somebody, I, I, I lost the name here, but J- Jordan Howard 2.0. I agree with that. I mean, it, it, if you go, if, if you go from signing Jordan Howard to three and a half million a year and you've got to cut him at the middle of the year because he's okay. He's, he's a lot worse off than we thought after getting pounded for a few years. And then you go sign James Conner the next offseason for the same amount. You get what you deserve with this signing. So two players I do not want any part of. I'm very open-minded to what the Dolphins do. I am not with those two players. No David Andrews, no James Conner, please. Moving along, Paul. One other name I, I – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, real quick, just for the chat before I lose it, and this is a quick one. How high are you willing to go for Aaron Jones? Good question. Um, see, one thing to keep in mind is that if if I were to, I, I would prefer not to sign Aaron Jones at all. And um, and 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 here's why I say it. I'm just more open to it than other people are, um, because I think you can take a top five running back off the market. You don't have to worry about it in the draft. But if you if we're talking dollars and cents here, uh. I would tap out easily at 12 million. Um, my preference would be for that to be in, in that in that 10 10 million um, 10 million a year range, and that could happen. It could be less than you think because other than the Jets, you look at all the teams that have more money than the Dolphins have. Uh, the those top seven teams, only the Jets really need a running back. So. I, I don't see a team that's got 15 million in cap room saying, okay, we're going to outbid the Dolphins and just throw everything into the middle for Aaron Jones. I don't see that happening. So 
maybe Jones, maybe Jones gets swept up by the Jets for five years, 75 million, at which point I wouldn't want any part of them. But if not, I'm struggling to see a team that that it would make sense for. Yeah, and I, I don't know that you'd see Jones want to go play behind that offensive line in New York or New Jersey or wherever they want to lie and say they're from. Um, I, for me, and not to spend a lot of time on this, I would tap out at eight, which I don't think you're going to get him for. And that, that's, that, that, yeah. that's my tap out spot. It, it's Yes, he's, he's a guy that can command 10 to 12 million a year. If the only way I'm taking taking Jones is if he calls up and goes, look, I like the way this young offensive line is developing. I like Tua. I like Flores. I like Miami. I'd love to come here. Um, you know, or he sits on the market for a little bit and you can make that stab at him. And I don't see that happening. I really don't, but it's possible. We have to keep in mind that there's going to be a lot of teams that balk at the idea of a $12 million a year running back, especially in a year where the cap has dropped. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll throw another question back to you here, Paul. Would you rather sign, given $8 million is your tap-up point, would you rather sign Aaron Jones for $10 million a year or James Conner for four? Yeah. I know you don't like either of those scenarios, but okay, if those I, are your two options. Can I tap options. out on the question? Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and, and that's why I asked because to me that is an easy choice. It's Jones because you're spending $4 million. I, you're spending $4 million to not address the position. And let me – I don't mean to keep beating this. Wait, drum is, is, is the four million? How much of the four million is guaranteed? Just about all of it. I mean, because because you're probably going to end up signing him to like I don't know three years, twelve million. Where really the first two years are largely guaranteed. That's disgusting. Because um, I really was trying to find a scenario I could cut him after we draft somebody. Like that. That's. I'd rather have Savon Ahmed start than James Conner. I probably would too. I mean, I, yeah, I, and, and that's that, those are the moves I wouldn't like for the Dolphins. Um, uh, I mean, it, it just wouldn't make sense. I, I'm okay with them being conservative. I'm okay with them trying to land a big fish. I'm not okay with them spending money to not address the position, but think that they are. So, yeah. Um, but another name too, Paul, that, that does interest me here is uh, Kyle Krabs brought this up in a, a USA Today that there have been rumors that the Dolphins could be interested in Denzel Perryman, a linebacker. Now, this would be fascinating for me. I've always liked Denzel Perryman. He's had some injury problems, but I've always said that he is a better version of Raekwon McMillan. He's not going to be on the field a lot in third down, but he's very good in in run defense. He's going to get you 400, 500 quality snaps a year. Um so yeah, I mean, I, I I I think I'd be open to that, and I don't think he would cost a heck of a lot of money, maybe three, four million a year in that range, because he doesn't play a lot on third down. Yeah, I if he's going to come in as a low dollar free agent, I, I I I'd consider it, but I just that type of role is something that looking at what Miami has in the draft, you could easily address that with with you know a Charles Snowden out, out of Virginia or you know uh, you get Browning in to come in and play that thumper linebacker role and you just you resign Vince Beagle um you know like there's so many options that Miami has that don't require you to spend that money on Perriman that I don't know I I feel like that's a smokescreen I think the problem that a lot of these media guys are having is 
they don't have a clue what Miami wants to do, and Miami has done a very good job of smokescreening the heck out of any move they really want to make uh, the past couple years with Flores and, and Greer. So, yeah, and, and good for them. I, yeah. I again, I admire lying to the media. It's it's to me, it's one of the most important parts of the job. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, so yeah, I, 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 Paul, we've got a little little bit of time left here. Uh, you know, before before we sign off, and it's going to be quite a, a week here. And be sure to uh, subscribe here and follow us here because Paul and I are going to be doing shows here this week, probably Monday and Tuesday in the evening, right around seven forty-five Central, eight eight PM Central time, kind of in that in that area. So be sure to tune in so that we can talk about day one and day two with you all. Um, you know, looking at at some of the other stuff here that that happened this week. Uh, Trey Lance had his pro day, and, and you know he missed a lot of throws uh, there. I, th- I mean, he, it, ball placement was not very good. But man, oh man, do you see the talent with Trey Lance? And I'm not saying this for the Dolphins. Look, I'm 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 out on that. <laughs> I'm, that's not even a conversation I'm willing to have. But if Trevor Lawrence goes first and Zach Wilson goes second, and that's kind of the talk right now. We should be rooting like hell for Trey Lance to strengthen his stock as much as possible, because if he does, there could be a bidding war for that number three pick. Now, I know Trey Lance, North Dakota State, didn't play this past year, not a very raw guy. But, um, yeah, I mean, you look at the career arc of Pat Mahomes and and Josh Allen, um, how they were very talented, very raw. And then with the right seasoning, they became superstars. I think Trey Lance, that stock is going to get really hot here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, it, it's Trey Lance um, is one that I think helps Miami with being able to trade down in in a way to still be able to get you know pits uh, potentially. Um, on top of that, Penny Sewell and whether or not the Jets go quarterback or not uh, could be a potential slide down and. Outside of that, I mean, if the Jets go Sewell, you're probably going to have Fields and Lance sitting there with a bunch of guys that want to leap up and get one of the two of them that fell in love with one of the two of them. Um, so it's it's very, very possible that we see a lot of scenarios for Miami to slide backwards. Um, and then Tommy and chat, we actually talked a little bit about Zayvon Collins. I still like Parsons better, but Collins is tier two. Um so yeah, for me, I don't know. I I I want to be able to trade down, and I do think if if Lance is able to do that uh, and and kick the kick the interviews out of the park, and people see the potential there, I don't think Jalen Hurts precludes the Eagles from coming up for a quarterback. But I also think the Eagles could potentially come up to get a tackle, um, you know, so or even a receiver uh, if they're really in love with a receiver. The Eagles are. are probably the team that I trade the most with when I trade down in in mock drafts it's just they are such a great spot there and then you know it's I'm with you and and Kat before we sign off though and I know we want to stay on this vein there is one other thing I want to touch on from back in free agency when we get there sorry I just said a whole lot of stuff and I think you're muted yeah I am muted thank you um so yeah the uh the, as far as the, the quarterback spots concerned, um, or Trey Lance and the Eagles, 
I, I think Philadelphia would be in an uproar if they traded from six to three to move up to draft a North Dakota State quarterback after what they just dealt with with Carson Wentz. And that's and it's really rare for any team to move up for a non-quarterback with what it's going to take. That that's probably why compared to last week. I would say the the Eagles are a little more unlikely. I'm looking at the Panthers as the team that um, the, they could say, hey, look, we can go up ahead and give maybe our second rounder this year and a first rounder next year, which is quite a bit. But it would be great for the Dolphins because they can still get a pass catcher. Um, and they can beat the Falcons to the punch. Otherwise, the Falcons could take Trey Lance at four, sit him behind Matt Ryan for a year or two, who's Matt Ryan's you know, going to be 36 years old. So a lot of other opportunities for us to talk about trade down partners. I think that's the way the direct that's the direction the Dolphins are going to go in right now. Trading down, getting that best pass catcher available. That is the popular opinion, and that's actually one I agree with will probably happen. So anyway, Paul, I'll throw it back to you with what, what was your uh, closing yeah, so- thought there? I know you and I talked offline about an exercise I was doing this week, and one of the questions I have for you is if Miami in free agency, and I know this is not going to be the sexy thing that everybody wants, but if they came away from free agency prepared for the draft with Marvin Jones, Corey Lindsley, Tyrod Taylor to back up Tua, re-sign Vince Beagle, sign Nick Vigil for depth at linebacker, re-sign Kayvon Frazier, and that's pretty well it, other than some some deep cut 90, 90 man roster guys. How would you feel about that free agency period? Um, I would like it because of Lindsley. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd like it overall. I mean, uh, uh, it really, if if you come away with Curtis Samuel at a decent price or Corey Lindsley, mm-hmm. I'm happy. Uh, and then from that point, if if you're filling holes with guys like Tyrod Taylor, Nick Vigil, you know. Um, Marvin Jones, uh, as uh, yeah, I, I I think that's good, and I don't think you're you're spending a reckless amount of money. And then it allows you to go into the draft and say, okay, we've got one or two positions we really need to hit, but we've got the picks to do that. So, yeah, I'm I, I I'd be in for that. All right, just curiosity because it it's for me this doing something similar to that, and whether it's Jones or T. Y. Hilton or Curtis Samuel or you name it, um, I I'd be surprised if they came away with Lindsley and Samuel. Uh, and, and that's where I'm looking at that second tier of receivers. But for me, it sets Miami up so well for the draft that I'd have to go that route. Yeah, and uh, to answer Tommy in the chat there, the big beastly linebacker that fits the mold is Zaven Collins. He should be available at 18, uh, but who knows given his skill set. Um, the other the other linebackers we'll talk about in future weeks, uh, the Chaz Surratt and Jabril Cox and, and Jamin Davis from Kentucky, kind of that coverage linebacker. So I think the Dolphins are going to be very interested in linebacker at the draft, given what's there. So um, that's going to do it here for our breakdown of free agency on the eve of the free agency tampering period. Be sure to join us on all of our social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh iHeartRadio, and we are also the official channel here of the fan-sided network as well as finfanatic.com. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. 
Save.